Did I oh, tell God. you about the sound effects I found when I was trying to do the intro, by the way? No. I mean... I went on the BBC website. I was uh, sorry. I should try and explain slightly. I'm, I was trying to put together some kind of foley-based introduction, and it turns out I have neither the talent nor the patience to do so. Um, but I had a great time looking through the BBC archive of sound effects. Um, some of my favourite bits being woman snoring, man snoring, several men snoring hilariously, several men snoring less hilariously, six minute recording of the British Library with the specified note that a book trolley appears at 5.53 or something like that. And me with joy that that exists. Uh, four puddings falling to the floor. <laughs> and one particularly nice sound effect that I downloaded for your enjoyment, Joanna. Right, BBC sound effects. Because I had to work with sound effects um, for a play I was in slash produced slash did all the work for because the director got distracted, hmm. um, which was a monologue, but it involved being on a chat show with trailers for a film. The point is, I now have a couple of albums, each with about 150 sound effects, on my phone. Oh. Because deleting them from my library seems like a lot of faff, especially after I paid for one. You don't happen to have an already mixed printing press slash elephant, do you? Uh, no, no, right, not no. handy. <laughs> um, what yeah. I do have is uh, fifty different versions of a prop plane, of a, a prop plane approaching, a prop plane approaching. The Jesus. strangest thing is that so I have an iPhone, which means in the music thing it will also. <laughs> creates playlists like classical and most played and 90s mm-hmm. for some reason as well as all the 90s music on my phone and there's a lot i've got a lot of prodigy some spice girls yeah a little bit of cotton eye Joe. it's all there but anyway so i put yeah, this 90s tell. thing on that apple had made for me and for some reason it put all of the sound effects and all of the tchaikovsky on my phone into this 90s playlist i didn't realize put it on shuffle and uh, then suddenly we had Tchaikovsky's Sleeping Beauty Suite followed by 80 minutes of a prop plane approaching from various <laughs> directions. Did it ever arrive? <laughs> no, because I switched it off after 15 minutes because oh, my fellow chef you. threatened to walk out of the kitchen. <laughs> Hello and welcome to The Truth Shall Make You Fret, a podcast in which we are reading and recapping every book from Terry Pratchett's Discworld series in chronological order. I'm Joanna Hagen-Young. And I'm Francine Carroll. Um, This week, which is definitely a week after the last one, not two minutes, um, (laughs) (laughs) we are looking at the second part of the first Discworld book, The Colour of Magic. Um, As we explained in episode one, which you should go back and listen to if you haven't already, because this won't make a lot of sense, uh, Terry Pratchett wrote this first book in kind of four novellas um which is an odd way of doing things but honestly quite a lot of things about the first two books are quite odd and so in this one we're looking at the two middle sections which are called the sending of eight and the law of the worm 
Quick note on spoilers. This is a spoiler light podcast. Obviously, hella spoilers for the first Discworld book, The Cover of Magic. This is all spoilers. Yeah. (laughs) This is all spoilers for the first book, up including the final section. So if you're reading a section at a time and listening, which is a really weird way to do it. You do you. We're not judging. Sorry, yucking yucking a yum, am I? (laughs) You are yucking a yum from... Oh, God, don't make me (laughs) sad. It's your fault you introduced me to this concept. However, uh, for first-time readers, we will be trying to avoid spoiling... We will avoid spoiling major plot points from future books, and we are going to avoid any and all discussion of the final book, The Shepherd's Crown, until we get there. Yes. Uh, The Sending of the Eight. The Sending of the Eight, yes. This is the second section in the first book. Yes. Um, and Numbers. it begins with a uh, not not just a complete setting change, but a completely new concept, uh, which is kind of odd at this point in a book. But um, it works. It, yeah, why not? It works. <laughs> Again, this is quite clearly written in, in different stages and different sections. Um, yeah, so we get introduced to the disc again, in that there's a turtle and that there's a disc-shaped world on the back of it. Yeah, we get a whole the dramatic deep strings music. Um, Thumbling? Thumbling. The thumbling of rumba. (laughs) (laughs) We get the rumbling bass and the dramatic orchestral strings and Great Artu and the World Turtles swims into view. And on the disc is Mm -hmm. a mountain in the middle. And on the mountain is Dun Manifestin. The home of the gods. Uh, the Discworld Pantheon, which is modelled off, um, gosh, I'm sure, a sampling of all the other pantheon, yeah, of so all the round world pantheons. Blind Io, the chief of the gods, who's obviously some weird sort of amalgamation of Zeus and Odin. And I mean, he's a bit more Odin-y in this. He gets a bit Zeusy. Yeah, when, the, when he gets his lightning bolts properly yeah. into gear later on in the series. Um, and Offla the Croc crocodile god and one of my personal favorite Discworld deities zephyrus the god of slight breezes who went very sad we never meet again yeah I... <laughs> sorry spoilers but oh yeah sorry should i beat that one <laughs> <laughs> sorry we do not again, that would make it sound way more exciting than it is we're very sad that beef <laughs> <laughs> eventually when we get to like the final book we can say right so remember in the, in the second episode yeah. we never meet him again <laughs> um so, uh, hmm. yes, they are the, them. Them, them are there. They're doing a bit of tabletop gaming, and with them are two side gods. Are well, they deities? Are they? Mm? I'd say they're somewhere between anthropomorphic personifications and deities. However, right now we only meet one of them. Oh yeah, sorry. Okay, so um, we meet the lady who's got bright green eyes, and yeah, she pulls out rincewind and two flower and puts them on the board. Yes, or pieces that represent them. Yes, um, known as a, a Wenegade, Wifford, and Funfort of Clark, according to Offler, the crocodile god, hindered as usual by his tusks. It's, it's not quite D&D with the universe, but it's not far off playing yeah. D&D with the universe. Yeah, yeah. and then uh, the lady rolls a seven with a six-sided die, and we cut back to Rinsen her characters, Rinsen and Tooflower, yes. Having a little walk along, talking yeah. about the quaint scenery. Yeah, um, what, what was, uh, oh, what was Rinsen's inferred definition of quaint? We don't have a definition of quaint. We have a definition of picturesque. Oh, yeah, that'll do. Um, after careful observation of the scenery that inspired two flowers, to use the word, that the landscape was horribly precipitous. 
Oh, wait, no, we do have quaint. Quaint, when used to describe the occasional village through which they pass, meant fever-ridden and tumble-down. <laughs> um, um, and it sort of, because it's like a new novellary thing, it re- does a little reintroduction of the character and uh, explains that Two Flower is the first tourist on the Discworld. Mm-hmm. Tourist, Rincewind had decided, meant idiot. Rincewind is explaining to Two Flower as they ride along his whole, how magic works on the Discworld. And he's explaining why he's frustrated with it. He doesn't like it. And he thinks the world should be more organised. And there is a wonderful line I really love, because we were talking about this in the last episode, how Rincewind is like, okay, fine, I know everything's random, I just want it to be better, more organised. And this is the... um, It was all very well going on about pure logic and how the universe was ruled by logic and the harmony of numbers. But the plain fact of the matter was that the disc was manifestly traversing space on the back of a giant turtle and the gods had a habit of going round to atheist houses and smashing their windows. <laughs> it is perfect. Um, and yes, then presents and then, the troll. And then the troll. Enter the troll stage nowhere. Um, <laughs> and uh, yes, it, it appears from absolutely bloody nowhere. Um, and there's a mysterious sound of clicking as if dice rolling. Yeah, so obviously this is part of their horrible sadistic game um and the horses panic as horses are want to do when trolls appear in the path i'm sure you know this joanna used to go to the races um i mean honestly horses panic if an ant appears in the path they panic in different directions is the important bit two flower is lost in the woods but he's not really that fussed about it yeah it's not too fussed um he's alive uh things keep going his way i mean he, he did disturb a she bear and her cubs but he manages to get away from that he was then chased by a wolf pack, but when he found this lovely eldritch stone, they decided they weren't hungry after all. Yeah. Well, no, he, he uh, he's on his mad horse that's dashing through the woods. Mm. The horse wakes up the wolf pack, but he's far away by the time the wolf pack come after him. Only a couple actually get as far as meeting him at the stone. Ah, I see. Sorry, I like to be specific. Obviously. Because our <laughs> listeners might be. Anyway, he sits on a goddamn eldritch stone, Joanna, and it and it imparts psychic directions through the medium of inscrutable runes. To the hospitable temple of Belshamaroth. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, so eldritch runes have directed to flower to the temple of Belshamaroth. And he's wandered off. Uh, and, and Meanwhile, in a tree... Uh, Rincewind is in a tree. Yes, sorry, that introduced that excellently. Well done, me. Um, <laughs> and he is in a tree, having been chased by a shiver and a wolf pack. Um, I wonder where they came from. Yes, it's kind of continuation of a theme that two flowers, happy naivety and worry-free existence is very much at the expense of Rincewind as a rule. <laughs> but he, he's now been chased up a tree by the wolf pack. And also snake. Yes, there's a there's a snake. I think there's also a hornet's nest. There is. Um, Rincewind at this point thinks to himself, uh, "Is the snake venomous? <laughs> of course it is." As <laughs> um, kind of the fatalistic, well, just, of uh, just realization that of course things are horrible. Um, <laughs> Death pops in to say hello, which is nice. Death does pop in, um, slightly frustrated at Rincewind's refusal to let go and die. <laughs> I was going to say fate intervenes. Fate does not intervene. Somebody intervenes. There is some sort of dice clicky noise. And hornet's nest drops on wolves. And the tree takes Rincewind in, literally. Some hands come out of the tree and pull him into it. 
Yeah. Actually, did that hornet's nest falling to the wolves even need to happen then? Probably not. Was it just a further demonstration of the manipulation of the gods? I would assume so. Huh. You are looking at this with an editor's eye, aren't you? Yes, yeah, sure. Yeah, obviously, I'm I'm here to trim paragraphs out of Pratchett. That will make me fucking popular. <laughs> well, no, but it is something you bring when you look at a book like this, especially because these ones, the early ones, weren't very heavily edited because they were being published to a niche audience. Wasn't the first book, like, 500 copies were published or something? Yeah, 506, something like that, yeah. yeah. Um, and Which is incredible when you think about it now because he became... The most the most popular British author after J.K. Rowling, I think. Yeah, I think as far as selling copies, yeah. I mean, there's 41 books compared to J.K. Rowling. It's like seven. Yeah, whatever. but where screw J.K. Rowling? Um, I mean, not. But that is a brave thing to say on a compared to Terry Pratchett. No, it isn't. <laughs> yeah, good in point. a fight, who would win? Oh, Terry Pratchett. Okay, out of whose books I could live without, I could live without Harry Potter way more than I could live without Terry Pratchett. Absolutely, yeah. And if I could pick one series to reread. Even if it was just seven uh, Discworld books, I'd pick those. Over. Yeah, reread for the first time. I mean, yeah. Mm. And I say that as someone who grew, uh, as someone who grew up with Harry Potter. Yeah. Although, having said that, um, my absolute top of the list book I would reread for the first time again is uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Not one of the Discworlds. Mm. Yeah. Um, although I'm cheating and picking the entire trilogy in four parts for that, but it's in one book in my bookshelf, so I'm taking it. Fair. What would yours be? Oh. Oh, I don't know now. Yeah, okay, so while you're thinking, I'll explain my reasoning. Yeah. In that nothing, and I really think nothing, has made me laugh as much as The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And it's it's because it's so concentrated. There are possibly as many moments like that in the Discworld, but Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is just bam, bam, gut punch laughter over and over again and you can't relive that no because you know the jokes are coming you never get you never get to hear that for the no. first time again um and that would oh fucking god douglas adams is a clever man he really was and i love that he struggled so much with writer's block and deadlines yeah yeah i mean not, not in the way we take pleasure in his pain but in a way that it's we feel less broken yeah i um, think yes your book now i've, I've rambled Oh, can I cheat and pick a series as well, though? Um, if you could realistically have them in one tome. Bollocks. Because <laughs> I, I... Okay, well, I'm going to I'm gonna ignore that rule. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. I don't actually have any way to enforce it, so... <laughs> so the Robin Hobb fits in the full books. Ooh. Not just that first trilogy. All of them. Probably my favourite non-parody fantasy series. Yeah. And yeah, I read two of the trilogies in the wrong order. So the second and third trilogy, I read the wrong way around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really wish I could go back and read them in the right order to see if so I could get the hints. Uh, so yeah, that would be what I would go back and reread. Anyway. Um, anyway, um, so Rincewind's dragged into the tree and cut back to the game of the gods. The weird. Might be D&D. Could be Monopoly. Um, Maybe Ludo? Probably not Ludo. Probably not Ludo or Cluedo. Oh, I like Cluedo. I hate Cluedo. Oh, do you? 
Oh, do you know what? No, I like the uh, pub quiz game. <laughs> oh, you yeah, know, I like the one yeah. on the quiz That's what I always think about, yeah. Yeah. No, the actual board game, there's like a really basic mathematical formula and then it all gets really yeah. obvious really quickly. Anyway, so we're back to the gods and this is where we meet Fate, uh, who sits down to play against the lady. Right. And fate is another anthropomorphic personification. Oh, we're doing well with that tonight. It's really fun to say. Isn't it? Um, But he's... Oh, he's got a lovely description, hasn't he? You've got the page open. Yeah. So uh, it it explains gods can change their form, but not the nature of their eyes. Uh, The fate of the Discworld was currently a kindly man in late middle age. Greying hair brushed neatly around features that a maiden would confidently proffer a glass of small beer to should they appear at her back door. It's just such a clever and non-descriptive description. Yeah. You you can see him exactly, and he hasn't at all described his face. No. You don't know what he looks like at all, but you know exactly what he looks like. Yeah, and and it's tying in other fantasy tropes while it's not making fun of them. It is drawing your attention to the fact you're aware of them, because the the old man who appears at the maiden's doorway... And she would kindly offer him a glass of small beer because he seems yes. like a... Which we looked at and small beer is weak beer. Yeah. Yes. Because this is when, this is the kind of fantasy that still sits around sort of the medieval-ish... Yeah, but I mean, if it's era. looking at 80s fantasy traits, I mean, you have read a lot more trash fantasy than I have, and that sounds judgy as fuck, but actually I just mean I am so fussy with fantasy. I've read a lot of trash in my time, but just yeah. not so much of that genre. Whereas I have... Red trash in all genres. I'm an equal yeah. opportunities trash reader. I mean, yeah. trash is an unfair word. Schlocky, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I want to reserve the word trash for the L. Ron Hubbard book I recently read, which was... Why um... did you do that? That's cool. Oh, uh, so my head chef is super into Scientology. Like, in a... Not in a he's a Scientologist way. All right, you can't be Canadian and a Scientologist. Pick one, dude. <laughs> no. He has, like, an intellectual interest. He thinks it's terrible. So he wanted to read some of L. Ron Hubbard's like books because he was a sci-fi author before he founded this crazy religion. Yeah. <laughs> but he didn't want to buy any because the money goes to his estate, which means the money goes to the Church of Scientology. Oh. So he keeps an eye out for used ones, but they're hard to spot. So I found one while I was in this huge... Well, I found a whole bunch while I was in America, but I could only afford to carry one back in my suitcase. <laughs> so I bought this terrible book called Typewriters in the Sky and I read it because I was curious about what I was buying as a present for my head chef so I could get some more time off work. <laughs> I don't remember what happened, but it was bad. Wow, that was only a couple of weeks ago as well. It must have been bad. I honestly couldn't tell you anything apart from there were typewriters and misogyny and I think it was meant to be science fiction. Gosh. The point is, I will read a lot of trash. Yes, <laughs> but because of that, I think you probably have a fuller understanding of the the, of the, the straight parody is. he's trying to yeah. do here. Yeah, because also bear in mind this came out in nineteen eighty three, so he's not parodying eighties fantasy; he's really parodying like seventies fantasy. This is true. This is true, and that's a whole different genre of trash subgenre. It's it's its own beautiful thing, but there's a lot of bad cartoony covers. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're talking uh, Conan the Barbarian kind of Well, we're going to come to a really super direct Conan the Barbarian parody in about ten pages. Okay, well, in that case, let us go ahead a little bit. Uh, So Fate and Lady are playing the game, got the dice out. Uh, They've also grabbed out something covered in suckers, tentacles and mandibles and thrown that on the board. Oh, everyone loves a mandible. What is Um, a mandible? It's like a mouth bit. (laughs) 
if anything if anything's described as having mandibles you don't want it in your bathroom basically okay rule of thumb thank you for that so rinse wins in a tree rinse wins in inside the tree yes with um, a hammer dryad a hammer dryad what's a hammer dryad so dryads um hammer like <laughs> i was i was already aware of dryads were like a forest spirit type thing but i thought uh-huh. i'd do look a bit more and it's greek mythology is the origin dryads are forest spirity type things and hammer dryads are dryads specifically bonded to one tree right okay so rather than just being a oh i love trees like i love this i just like a, a monogamous dryad yeah mm-hmm. pretty much so monogamous dryad um who is flesh green and rincewin's very sure about that because all she's wearing is a necklace hey we'll come back to this <laughs> i'm sure we will um <laughs> but she, she tells him that his mate two flower has gone to the temple of belshamroth yeah and at this point we learn that belshamroth is all all kinds of fucking nasty because rincewind is all more terrified. terrified than usual and this is where we get a bit of an explanation um which we probably should have mentioned in episode one. Yeah. So we get a bit more of the backstory about why Rincewind is a terrible wizard. And effectively, like it's talked about in the first section of the book that riz- wizards can only use a spell once and they have to memorise it. It takes a lot of yeah. work. Rincewind has one of the eight great spells that are the base of the universe lodged in his head. So yeah. no other spells will hang out there. <laughs> so we learn a bit more about it here, which is that there is... Um, at the Unseen University, when he was a student, there was a book. And it was called The Octavo, and it was the grimoire of the creator of the universe. Gosh. And one of the spells from that book, but Rincewind snuck in, looked at it on a dare, one of the spells lodged itself in his brain. That's why he can't do any other magic. And that's and he why he got inspe- expelled, yeah. And it's why he got expelled from the university. Um, on the front cover of that Octavo had been a representation of Belshamaroth. Oh, the Soul Eater. He who lies between seven and nine. His number lieth between seven and nine. Oh, because we learn uh, somewhere in this chapter uh, that the number eight is super duper evil. Um, yeah, that happens in a few pages. Yeah, so it's like the 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 whole numerology thing, which I don't think is very often explored in the Discworld, actually, surprisingly. No. But in here, that uh, apart from the significance of the number eight, which is just a very magical number, and in this case, um, it is. A unlucky. very unlucky number. Um, and in fact, Rincewind uh, had that drilled into him at university, and then found out that his dorm room was dorm room was number seven A, which he did not find surprising. But yeah, it's weird because eight is um, is such an importantly sacred lucky number in Chinese culture. Yeah, so it's 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 gen- like the inf- infinity symbol as well. Like it is quite a. But I honestly think it's only used in Discworld and in relation to magic because he has this idea of the colour of magic being the eighth colour of the rainbow and it's kind of, well, there's seven colours, so yeah, this whole magic thing becomes eight and I think that's where... It does just stem from that. I think so. Or that's how I would look at it. I, yeah. It could be a big numerology reference though. I, no, I think you're probably right to be honest. <laughs> yeah, the, the uh, octarine is the eighth colour, which is uh, kind of gr- a greenish purple. Would you say that's barren? I think that's what yeah, I mean, we, 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 can see, we can see octarine, obviously. Um, Being wizards. Yeah, it's quite hard to describe, but I'd say. Yeah. Bit greenish purple. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so Rincewind's still hanging out in the tree. Um, and which he's... is apparently bigger on the inside. 
figure on the inside, not a Doctor Who reference. No, so I'm here to make the Doctor Who references on Terry Pratchett's behalf because you didn't make any. I'm very upset about this. Oh, go ahead, John. Sorry. And he realises around this time that he's not really a guest. He's being kidnapped. Yay. Oh, Rincewind. Oh, Rincewind. You also... silly fish. <laughs> this is also where uh, where he meets some he dryads. Which are just like she dryads, except not green and also men. And a bit bulkier. Mm. Quite a lot bulkier. Bowling ball biceps, that kind of thing. Yes. Um, and I think he refers to the entire setup as being almost like a hive, doesn't he? Yeah, he says there's lots of females with a few giant males, and he sort of ref- he says uh, the giant males stood like god-shaped statues among the small, intelligent females. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like a hive, but not like a beehive. Yeah, because that's like the exact opposite of a beehive. Yes, it is, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, like ants, more like ants. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The point is, the trees are hive for these people. But there's um, some interesting stuff about the... He thought dryads had died out. And there's a reference to the Twilight Peoples. Uh, and it's a, it's a cool little seed planted for later books, sort of. He talks about elves and trolls uh, and gnomes and pixies. Yeah. And they've all been Is it? dying out, um, apart from elves and trolls, was it? Yeah, elves and trolls... Um, have evolved, he said, trolls because they were at least as good as humans at being nasty, spiteful and greedy. Mm-hmm. Elves because they were too clever by half. And gnomes and pixies are supposed to have died out, which is kind of half seed planting for future use. Yeah. And half he completely reckons all of that. Yeah. Um, the the idea is kind of centred around that there's less magic in the world as well, isn't there? Um, yeah, it's sort of implied. It also talks about... Um, humans have out evolved yeah it 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 kind of seems like again it's a tropey thing uh, as humans come in the magic declines but it kind of seems like he started with that and didn't really follow it through because that would have made quite a boring overall plot for a 41 book series yeah i think also he never really concerns himself with strict rules of magic like in this first book there's a lot of Strict explanation of this is how magic works, yeah. and then he just ignores it whenever it's convenient because that's more fun. It is more fun. I think as long as the underpinning that magic is not an infinite resource that you can ex machina your way out of anything with, yeah, um, is there, then it's fine. And that is the big point: is no matter how readily available or what rules apply to magic, you can't just use it to snap your fingers and get out of anything. And there's yeah. lots of fun explanations of why you can't as we go along. Yeah, and Rincewind definitely can't on account of being a shit wizard with only one horrible, horrible, horrible spell. Lodged in his brain. Ooh. But uh, the dryads do some wild magic. So they do some wild magic and they open some kind of portal, right? So they open up this portal so Rincewind can see what's going on uh-huh. at the Temple of Belshamareth. And, and this is just some kind of hey, let's watch your friend get tortured to death before we kill you in a nicer manner yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. But the first thing uh, Rincewind sees is a horse parked outside that seems oddly familiar. <clears throat> and uh, this is where we meet Hran the Barbarian. Yay! So, uh, yeah, this is proper Conan the Barbarian type his take. He's big, he's not hugely bright. 
Although he's one of the few barbarians that can string a couple of uh, syllables together. Yeah. He's got a leopard print loincloth, which is, like, very in with barbarians these days. Mm. A thatch of hair and a small head atop a muscly, muscly body. Yeah, as a fighter of dragons, a despoiler of temples, a hired sword, the king post of every street brawl. He could, even, and unlike many heroes of Rinspoon's acquaintance, speak words of more than two syllables. Yes, that's the one. time and maybe end or two. (laughs) Which is such a wonderful character. Um... Yeah, considering it's such a simple trope stereotype, he does make it fun. He does make it very fun because it could be really bored, really. It could get really dull really quickly. Yeah. So Rinswin's still kind of watching this from the tree. Um, he lets the dryads find out he's got this giant spell in his brain. Oh, because they can read his mind, and they're like, "Oh my god, that is not a nice spell to have in the tree." Yep. So at this point, Rinswin runs the fuck away, which is. Kind he bravely ran away, away. <laughs> but it's kind of a theme. Well, you know, Rincewood knows what he's about. He knows what he's good at. Yeah, and what he's good at is getting away from whatever is happening right now. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily to a better place, but that's not the point. No, so because he ends up at the Temple of Belshamorot. Yes. Uh, he teleports through this orange portal thing and uh, pops up next to Twoflower. Yeah. Who's been wandering around in his usual, ooh, look at all this stuff kind Bless. of manner. Bless Twoflower. Uh, kind of. Idly fingering the carvings on the wall, and and at this point, Ron's also wandering around. Um, oh, he's because been... he's been lured here. Yes, he's been lured in by the luggage with his with like opening its lid to show a flash of gold. Like, hey, which hey. I like to think of the luggage sort of flashing its gold like a Victorian lady sort of coquettishly flashing an ankle. Oh yes, she, yes, he definitely does that. I see. I always refer to the luggage as a he. We are not fully aware yeah, of the luggage. I should, I should really be calling it in it. Or are they? I don't know. I feel like if it's made of wood, I mean, it's I think we're it. fine to call it in it. Yeah. <laughs> the point like, is, I knew you went for day as well, but then I thought I'd just sound weird. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Anyway, um, uh, where are we? We're still we we find out that Fron's carrying Kring, the magical sword. Who uh, I, I like. I like that there's a talking sword. Do you? I like that there's a talking sword, and he's kind of irritating and a bit of a dick. Yeah. It, it's very cheesy cartoony fantasy trophy. Um, and if it had been in the book for any longer than it was, I would hate it. Yeah, that's yeah, that's, it's not there for the very long. For, for me, it kind of veers into the Monty Python. I mean, we can't really complain about Discworld being a bit Monty Python. No, we can't. But this is more that than usual, I would say. Yeah, it's... I mean, there's definitely some parallels to Monty Python and the Holy Grail, like throughout very much so but yeah i don't know I, I feel like kring's character is not even the fact it's a talking sword who's a dick it's just the way he's speaking as like oh he's this certain type of dick that isn't yeah i feel like it's less that it's a crap character it's that it reminds us of the pub bore yes it does <laughs> um but anyway he, the the talking sword that fran is already regretting stealing yeah, I mean, it works within the context, and it's a yeah. nice, like, subversion of, you know, hero finds talking sword, helps lead him to glory. Yeah, that, but I, I've always struggled with certain certain funny characters. Um, So, you know, Friday Night Dinners? Yeah. The next door neighbour, what's his called? Oh, uh, yeah, no, that one, no, that makes me cringe. Yeah, exactly. They've done such myself. a good job of making him annoying that I genuinely can't stand to watch him. Yeah. Um, And that's the, that's the point, and Jack finds that hilarious, and... Obviously, I can appreciate how well done it is, but in reality, I'm like, oh, 
God almighty. <laughs> yeah, I, can't, I definitely can't watch that for long. It, it does make me sort of crawl up inside myself and yeah, yeah. become a... They don't cringe like that for me. They've, he's just done a good job of making a thoroughly unlikable character there. Yeah, that's fair. Um, anyway, we're in the temple, mooching around. Uh, um, everyone bumps into each other, basically. Yeah, I always sort of picture this a bit as like... Um, I don't mean quite a carry-on film, but you know... Like Scooby-Doo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what I meant. Then they didn't say carry-on film. But yeah, this is, this is really Scooby-Doo. Ruh-roh, you better off the Eater of Souls. <laughs> but it is, you know, they're all kind of backing in and out of corridors and they finally bump into each oh, yeah. other. Yeah, Rin is like a sophisticated shaggy. Yeah, the luggage is a bit Scooby. No, because the luggage is scrappy. Okay, yeah, fair point. Or maybe I can't paste all of these characters on Scooby-Doo characters. Okay, right. <laughs> Two flowers, obviously, Daphne. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, at this point, we're kind of skirt. Well, Rincewind is trying to subtly skirt around the fact that we really cannot say the number between seven and nine, you guys. Okay, okay? Like, four times two, don't say it. Just, just think it, don't say it, please. There is um, a lovely moment where Two Flower says, well, we just need to find this Bell Shamaroth person and explain, and then he'll let us out. Yes, because he's very stupid. Um, and Rin- Rincewind, of course, says the hollow laugh, no. Um, <laughs> paraphrasing. <laughs> that is not how we deal with this. Yeah. Um, and it all becomes a little uh, academic because Kring the, the asshole sword yells <laughs> the number eight with his voice like uh, a carving knife cutting through silk. Did I get that right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, in a voice like a claw being scraped across glass also comes out. Oh, yes. There's a lot of beautiful analogies yeah. for this sword. Yeah, that's a simile. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not meaning to be a prick. I've just had a lot of coffee. Nah, be a prick is great. (laughs) This is good material. Um, So, yeah, we are... Sorry, where the hell am I? We're in the... Uh, So, he... uh, Sword yells eight. Arsehole sword. Arsehole sword. Eight. Rinse one. You're not meant to say eight. Comedy moment. Hand slaps over mouth. Tentacles suddenly. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really... (laughs) Suddenly, incredibly sad, dear listener, that this is a podcast because you have all just missed Francine's tentacle suddenly action, which was a bit like an all-limb YMCA. (laughs) I am just upset that there weren't any mandibles. Well, you can't do mandibles and tentacles at the same time with the number of limbs that God gave you, Joanna. Um, Any... (laughs) Which God? Ah. Was it blind, Dio? Anyway. Oh, right. Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) So, so... Tentacles. uh, Um, Many tentacles. They're everywhere. They're grabbing at you. They're going, ooh, all over the place. And Franz hacking at them with Kring, who's, like, saying annoying stuff, probably. I am being very restrained and not making any jokes about weird anime porn. (laughs) You're the one with the collection. (laughs) Well, I get it. Oh, well, that's not not relevant. Um. (laughs) Anyway, okay, so so it's all a bit hentai with wizards. It's all a little bit hentai if you want to look at it that way. Um, Um, Lovecraft, it's just Lovecraft Lovecraft. spewing all over the place. It's all a bit Cthulhu, but not from the deep. Um, And then Two Flower wants to risk his life for a photo. Um, Sorry. Well, I think we're about to make the same point. Yeah. 
it would totally be a selfie now. Yeah. Two Fly would definitely have a selfie stick if this were written in the modern day. The, I, I was about to make the exact same point. Two Flower would so want a selfie with the big giant team. Oh, and it would be so cute. But um, unfortunately, this was written in 1983 and Two Flower did not have a selfie stick, even though he had the whole fantastical world at his disposal. I know. Nobody I, thought of a wanker wand until it existed. I don't think no one, anyone... Okay, I don't want to say no one thought of selfies because... Yeah portrait artistry is very, was very much a thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, Two Flower would have had a wanker once. <laughs> um, in the event, Rincewind takes the photo. Um, salamanders. Yes, and the flash is on. Oh, Shamaroff. Yes. yes. <laughs> I like that the flash is salamanders. Yeah, oh, the salamanders, which in the Discworld feed off octarine light, um, so they have been gorging up. themselves in this heavily magic temple. Mm. And when they flash they really flash and it, <laughs> yes well quite <laughs> <laughs> they ooed Belshamaroth right back into hell or whatever dimension he came from probably dungeon. the dungeon dimensions we'll come to that another day um, <laughs> we'll come to that in book three um, so yeah yeah Belshamaroth dies, Bel dies. shriveling tentacles that time was easier is, yeah, than yeah. you might have thought <laughs> Yeah, that was a bit, it's a bit anticlimactic, really. Yeah, but I suppose he was running out of space. <laughs> it does feel a but bit then, like... What, what kind of boss battle can you realistically write at Especially this point? in a novella and you're I suppose we could do Fran versus the tentacles, but it's just boring, isn't it? And this is a much better end to it than just the barbarian hacking it up. Yeah. Like, we're still subverting the trait bit, so I still like it. Yeah. Um, um, and anyway, once the tentacle's dead... Um, time which has been no. embarrassed to uh wait no alter rob oh yeah no so we have a fun bit of um Hrun being a barbarian <laughs> goes to um lift up the altar and um how do you says, feel about that as a catholic couldn't give a fuck right. <laughs> <laughs> just, I mean, i'm just making sure we get all perspectives properly represented on this podcast Joanna. okay great so speaking um, as a catholic i mean heavily lapsed <laughs> Quite lapsed, really. Quite, quite lapsed, you'd say. Quite surprising I've not been ex- excommunicated, if I'm being totally honest. Just, just because the Pope has not heard of you. Yeah, I mean, I keep meaning to write him a letter. But, you know, who's got the time? Do you get, like, official excommunication letters? I have Do no idea. Think? I don't know anyone who's been excommunicated. That's surprising to me. <laughs> um, anyway. He robs the temple. Tem- temple, temple. Yes, Ron loves the temple. Fran robs Fran. the altar. Yes, he does. Uh, and there's a nice little conversation where uh, Rincewind asks how he knows there's treasure in here, and Fran says, "You find choke apples under a choke apple tree. You find treasure under altars." Yeah. And but we fair point. Yeah. I like anyone who's played Skyrim or similar. Yep. Is well aware of this fact. I like physics uh, in it. Yeah, Ron's only really in this one book, but he exists in this book purely to just very matter-of-factly state tropes from Conan the Barbarian. Yeah, he doesn't even live them out particularly. He just says, says them. <laughs> and for some reason, it's so much funnier than if he was actually doing any of this shit. No, it absolutely is. Yeah. Um, and I mean, a, a later Barbarian stereotype, um, not that much later, really. The next book. Yep. Um, does more of the acting out of the tropes, but because he's very different, it, it works differently. But um, um um, and yeah, then time has been ashamed to come anywhere near this temple for a while. It finally decides to uh, crumble the whole thing all at once. Yep. 
everybody runs away, slow motion run, explosions probably in the background, maybe a helicopter, I don't know. Probably. Actually, helicopters do weirdly come up in these books. Do they? Only a couple of times, but more often than I would think they would in fantasy parodies. Mm. Oh, yeah. No, I'm remembering now. Yeah. um. Watch (laughs) out for helicopters. Yeah. (laughs) Spot the helicopter. It's a sub game. Um. We're going to do this as a weekly segment where we just talk about whether or not there was a helicopter in this book. And when we get to a helicopter... Disappointment. Helicopters, slow motion, back to reality. Rincewind and Toothflower are continuing on their journey to Churm, Quirm, whatever. They I are think the two are interchangeable in... at this point. Yeah, although they have got separate map locations, neither of which are anywhere near the goddamn Wormberg. <laughs> which we'll come to soon. Um, uh, Kring is just babbling away about all the shit he's done, which I do quite like that at some point he mentions living in a hundred spending a hundred years in the bottom of a lake oh yes yeah with some watery bint um look just because i'm boys and bint lobbed a scimitar at you look i promise i'm not gonna quote monty python <laughs> that one was my fault i misquoted monty python and provoked you yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah so they sensibly agree to get fron to accompany them yeah um in as exchange for having his for a bit of pr yeah yeah they take his photo instead which is just placed with vanity instead of paying him because you know he finds gold under every altar yeah. which are all over the shop apparently in so. fantasy land um <laughs> i just like the fact that rincewind at one point during this book where a lot happens sets up a little pr business yeah <laughs> it is very very discworld um and that is where Part two ends. Well, that and death looking a bit threatening. Oh, yeah, death, death, death hasn't killed kind of yet. comes along and goes, ooh, shake fist at Sky. I've got, that's a wonderful mental image. <laughs> really love the thought of, of death just around me. Ooh. <laughs> you Rinse <kids>. wind. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, dear, wrong trope. <laughs> right, so. Part three, Close to the Edge. No, that's part four. Oh, fuck me, I've written Close to the Edge on here. Part three, something Wormberg. <laughs> the Lure of the Worm. The Lure, lure of the Worm, part... Mm. Part three, The Lure of the Worm. <laughs> so... Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> it's half past eleven. <laughs> no, we don't need to tell the audience, but... No, yes, it is timeless, and also we don't do things at stupid times of night. Um... So uh, we start with the introduction to the Wormberg. Yes. Uh, the Wormberg is... Big fuck-off upside-down mountain. Basically. With a forest on top and a waterfall. It's all very odd. Uh, to be honest, I really could not picture the Wormberg at all like the first few times I read this. I don't know why. I just no, not really... from the outside. I had a really good idea of what the inside looked like. Yeah. But I, I don't think I even bothered. I didn't try and imagine it. I, I like to know what things look like. Yeah, I must say, if, if my brain doesn't do it, then I just I'd skip over it and it makes some kind of vague background in my head. I do kind of blur it out a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, Rincewind, we, we cut away from the Wormberg. Yeah, so the, the Wormberg's a little novella introduction and Rincewind and Fran and Two Flower and Luggage and Kring, we've got quite a fucking group at this point. Yeah, it's are... a plucky band of misfits. <laughs> Plucky. <laughs> Alright, maybe not plucky. I really don't think that describes any of them. Maybe two flower? Look, 
It's a fantasy novel, therefore they are a plucky band of misfits, even if none of them are individually plucky. The luggage is quite plucky. Um, there's a bit more world building here, isn't there? Uh, oh, history world building, is that yeah, a separate thing? Yeah, sort of. Yeah. Law. 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 Law with an R. <laughs> L-A-W-R. Law. Like raw. <laughs> like, so random. Law. <laughs> law. Oh my god, I hate me. Um... <laughs> Anyway, it's going on about how there were mage wars, which were wizards having a little barney, um, spilled magic all over the place, and now if you flip a coin, it turns into a caterpillar. (laughs) Yeah, basically. That's the history of the Discworld in a nutshell. (laughs) Or a caterpillar. Um, They're a little concerned about this. Well, Rincewind's a little concerned about this. Fran is vaguely, oh, this is one of those places, and two flowers like, oh, yay, meh, meh. Skips about in a field of butterflies. Yeah. I get to the point in the book where the optimism of Two Flower annoys me. And I think it, it, it comes in drips and drabs, my annoyance slash love of the character. I think it's it's the relentless optimism is just starting to hit grating. Now he gets a dragon and I'm really happy for him. Yeah. All right, he does get a dragon. All right, we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, for now, we meet... Um, an old man who's dead. Yep. But not that dead because he was a wizard. So he can still chat away. And, um, and uh, see into all kinds of dimensions that you don't really want to look at if you keep your sanity. He's also got a bit of a loose grip on temporal stability. He, he, he's everywhere in time at the same time. He's all, yeah. It's very confusing. And also a zombie. And also a bit of a zombie. Um, and but, he's with his daughter. Liesa. Who? Liesa Wormbitter. Yeah, and I had a purple bookmark here, which meant Joanna gets to do a feminist. Oh, yay. I like that you've colour-coded Joanna does a feminist. Yeah, it's the only one I was consistent with in my indexing system, which I'm not even looking at. (laughs) I promise I am not going to do a giant feminist rant here, but Mm. there are literally three female-speaking characters in this entire book. The lady, who's a fucking anthropomorphic personification slash deity. The fucking hammer dryad. Who's naked and not human. <laughs> and Liesa Wormbitter, who is almost naked except for a couple of mere scraps of the lysist chainmail and riding boots of iridescent dragonhide. I have Which... two points here. <laughs> One, if dragons only exist when you can imagine them, are her boots imaginary? Yes. Sub point, where do I get some? <laughs> I feel like that undercut my feminism slightly. Right? <laughs> I, I get that this is a paranoid... This is a paranoid i'm a feminist but i want an imaginary pair of dragon boots do you reckon we should get on the podcast for that <laughs> totally all right i get this is a parody of cheesy 70s fantasy uh-huh. i get that he is trying to make fun of the trope here but this book has literally three female speaking characters two of them are semi-naked yeah basically naked and um there's a really good book which I am going to find the title and author of. It's Pratchett's Women, Unauthorised Essays on the Female Characters of the Discworld by Tansy Rayner Roberts. And I may end up quoting this book a couple of times. It feels like it was written for you. Books. That's a bit, I mean, I get that these are not huge feminist tomes. I'm not doing everything as a massive feminist reading, but in this particular instance... I think there's a lot there's a lot of feminist themes to be looked at through Pratchett. There are a lot of feminist themes. He writes some incredible women characters, but that doesn't um, mean it's above criticism. No, nothing's above criticism. 
So this is a quote from uh, this book of essays on female characters in Discworld. In these early Discworld books, we find Pratchett mocking the semi-clad, bosomy, fantasy women who traditionally reward the handsome hero with their sexy selves. Sexy selves. He did this at first by creating semi-clad, bosomy, fantasy women who, A, say bitchy things to the not-handsome hero in the hopes that no one would notice they're still a cliché of the genre, and slash or B amusingly fail to fall in love with the protagonist, but instead choose to reward a less obvious male character with their sexy selves. Sexy selves. (laughs) (laughs) And this is, this is totally what Pratchett is doing here. He's just gone, ah, right, let's throw in a semi-naked character, because, haha, isn't it silly how these 70s fantasy books have all these naked women? It's like, right, but you're kind of just doing the thing. Yeah. All all you've done is, you haven't actually made her a random character, You've, you've just kind of made her a bit bitchier. Yeah, I feel like that's a trope in itself. Um, the early, the early renditions of strong female character, from what I've read from from the eighties, basically, seem to all be bitches. Yeah, it's Which just I'm I'm still this trope, except now I'm also mean. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Oh, and I had several brothers. Yeah, basically. Yeah, that's, and that's Leosa Dragonheart. So yeah, it gets a lot better. Uh, the way Pratchett writes women definitely hugely improves even by book three in fact even by book two yeah i mean this is really the only book where he doesn't even bother um to create a well-rounded female character yeah but it feels super noticeable here it does yeah i agree even even i put a purple bookmark in and i'm reasonably sparing with them fair so so that's my rant about the semi-naked dragon queen that being said, she's trying to break a glass ceiling here. So, she yeah. is. She's trying to break a glass ceiling with her imaginary boots, which might be why it's so fucking difficult. And her imaginary dragons. But so we, we find out Liesa's motivation. Which is to subvert patriarchal norms and take over the worm bug. Yeah. Because whoever killed the father figure should have been the one to rule the worm bug. Yeah, but he's but- doing another fantasy trope, which is being the um the, the patriarchal sometimes matriarch who doesn't trust any of his children to look after the thing and so stays around except this time he's dead already but still sticking around because good old him fantasy um, <laughs> because he can why not yeah. um fun fact also what angela merkel's doing basically oh god yeah <laughs> so we also get a little perspective from the dragon which i really like because it's all in italics for no particular reason. But um, when Liesa kind of hooks... Oh, no, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, so we get a little look the inside of the Wormberg. The inside of this mountainous massive cavern. And it's studded with hooks, including some massive great hooks, which were screwed in by many slaves who then fell to their deaths along with some of the other hooks. And I just fucking love stuff like this. Like the weird industrial aesthetic, just to start with. Yeah. And second, the fact that when we see it from the inside perspective and the weird little italics bit and we get the dragon perspective as well, um, Liesa hooks herself on with these hooky boots. Hook boots. Hook boots. To go with your imaginary boots. Every girl <laughs> needs them. And <laughs> and kind of <laughs> it kind of goes upside down and it kind of explains the world as going upside down. And then you read that more literally than me. I read it as literally gravity felt the other way up. Mm-hmm. But I could have misread it. 
And it's fancy yeah. and it's open yeah, to interpretation. Yeah, I don't think it was, it's a case of misreading, really. For, for me, I imagined it more as she was so used to it that this was just the other world. Yeah. Um, but anyway, she, she's upside down and now the ceiling's the floor. And to me, I particularly love that bit because I used to spend hours as a child, maybe not hours, probably hours, I was quite hyper-fixated on things, looking at textured ceilings and imagining it as the terrain of some fantasy world and kind of doing little adventures in there. Um and that's really the only reason I miss Artex. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. Um, so that particularly tickled me yeah. when and I first I read love, it, and even now. Yeah. I love the visual, and I love that this is the really literal version of the theme we were talking about, where belief engenders existence. Yeah. And literally these dragons come into existence by her believing in them. Yes, yeah. And, yeah, just the, the whole... I really like the whole concept of the Wormberg. Um yeah, again, I, I would prefer Liesa to be a better character, but fuck well, it, she's in a great setting for now, so... <laughs> isn't, to be honest, her character alone isn't that bad, it's just... Yeah, but when Pratchett it, does better than not that bad. Yeah, this is, I think this is, it wouldn't be so jarring if it wasn't the fact that I'm kind of, a, I don't know, spoiled for almost equality in some of the content I consume, where I just expect yeah. there to be some more female characters than three, two of which are naked... And yet, partly because I know Pratchett can do better, I know that there are really good female characters. Yeah. Not in this book, but... (laughs) Yeah, it's not even that, oh, Pratchett can do better with female characters in this one. At this point, for me, it's that Pratchett can do better with characters. Boring. Yeah. The whole lot of them, actually, apart from the dad. Yeah, yeah. Um, Even Rincewind and Two Flower aren't quite fleshed out enough to be interesting yet. They're getting there. Yeah, I will give I will give less of a criticism to these because they are being fleshed out as the story goes on. Oh yeah, I mean there's a difference between this is a badly written character and this is I'm still waiting for all of the character development to have happened. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, anywho, so we've got to stop saying anyway. By the way, I've just realised how much we've been doing that. Yeah, word wrap up. It's hard not to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's another thing I've got to stop saying. Liesa gets on the uh, old people get really annoyed about so. So, if you ever like, listen to the radio but, with an old person, yeah, and anyone says so, like in my day, people didn't used to say so. I'm like, okay, well, people spoke more slowly. So, a needle pulling thread. Exactly, it's all Julie Andrews' fault. Fucking Julie Andrews. I love Julie Andrews. Me too. Mm. Ram and Two Flower are kidnapped by this imaginary dragon that's now yeah, solid. Yeah, Liesa, Liesa has jumped on a dragon. She's decided to capture them. I think she's sort of thinking, well, I could keep this run guy and he can be like my uh trophy husband trophy husband and like the figurehead while i run things from behind the scene because he looks suggestible and also muscly yeah and yes it's gonna type yeah suggestible and muscly (laughs) to be honest i can see it (laughs) nothing wrong with suggestible muscly bloke (laughs) so Fuck's sake. I'm really conscious of it now. I'm sorry. Liesa kidnaps Hran and Two Flower. And Rincewind, Rincewind ends up with Kring. Yeah, R- Rincewind gets away. and With a magical sword. He yeah. gets knocked out oh, briefly. Unlucky. Yeah, <laughs> briefly knocked out. This is not unusual. I can't imagine the kind of brain damage he's dealing with by the end of books like five. Um, <laughs> I'm just assuming he's sort of semi-permanently concussed. That would explain a lot. Yeah. Mm. Um, <laughs> he pulls Kring out of a tree. Eventually. It's very glad it's not Danville. 
Yeah. Uh, great. Yeah. Kring again goes on about his multidimensional existence. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Rincewind wasn't going to bother with a res- rescue attempt because why would he? He's Rincewind. He's not a rescue attempt kind of guy. Yeah. And he's realistic about. He's come to be tolerating of Two Flower by this point. He doesn't particularly dislike Fran. But realistically speaking, what, what is Rincewind going to do about a dragon? Yeah. Let alone possibly several. Uh, but Kring does not want to be stuck with just Rincewind. Because Rincewind terribly boring compared to Fran. So Kring forces him to go off and rescue the boys. And he does this via... Uh, hmm. Try. He sort of tries to hijack a dragon... I'm trying to pronounce the Dragon Rider's name. Yeah, this is one of my favourite things Terry Pratchett does because I fucking hate fantasy name tropes. Apostrophes. Random... Now it's foreign. Random punctuation. There is no need for random punctuation in the middle of words and I am looking at Patrick fucking Rothfuss here. Oh, I am God. Look, I just feel really (laughs) strongly about the amount of apostrophes in names. And he is one of the worst offenders. And I think it comes a bit from Tolkien-y fantasy. Like, there was definitely a thing. Yeah, but Tolkien was a language expert and wrote his languages. And it made sense when he drilled down into it. And I think everyone nicked the aesthetic. Without actually thinking about how the language was constructed. And I like that Terry Pratchett takes the piss out of here. The problem is, is now I don't know how to pronounce this name. So I'm going to go with Sidra Because it's got an exclamation mark in it. Yes. Um... In fact, I'm very tempted to, uh, and I may do this between now and recording our next episode, go and listen to the audiobook and find out how it's pronounced. But if it's just Cassandra, I'm going to be really upset. I bet it is. No, you need to... Look, there's an exclamation point there. do this one? Nigel someone? Tony Robinson does some of them. Yeah, but he has abridged ones. Oh, okay. I bet they abridge it so he doesn't have to say Cassandra. <laughs> I would. <laughs> the point is, Cassandra has a dragon. And is now being hijacked by Kring and Rincewind. Except he's really bad at hijacking. So we sort of combo hijack slash gets kidnapped. Yeah, so he's meant to be taken back to the Wormberg anyway, but probably more dead than he is. Yeah, he's got an odd ability to survive. I do like that while he is riding the dragon, Sidra <laughs> offers him a bag of... <laughs> Shout to Anna, it's so nice. <laughs> I'm sorry. No way. <laughs> Um, Sidra offers him a pack of boiled sweets because yeah. it is traditional it is while traditional. flying. It is. <laughs> it doesn't matter what universe you're in, it is traditional while flying to eat a red and yellow sweet. Yep. Back at the Wormberg. Yeah, Rincewind turns up at the Wormberg, at which point he gets challenged to a fight. By. Uh. Lee. Ort. No, it's. <laughs> Leo. Oh. Ort. Leo! Leo! <laughs> We're upsetting the dog. <laughs> Leas's, one of Leas's brothers, who reckons he should be ruling the dragon, the, the Wormberg. He's like, fight me! Reckons it's a hero. Um, has decided that Rincewind's here for Mortal Kombat. Which he really isn't. No, poor Rincewind. But Kring is not willing to go along with the cowardly option. No, bloody Kring. Oh, I, yeah. I'm kind of getting asshole sword now. Yeah, he is an asshole sword. And now we're going to fight. Rincewind's going to fail miserably. But not as much as you'd think. No, all he does is fall off the ceiling a bit. <laughs> but so does Leo. 
exclamation mark root. Yeah, but Leo exclamation mark root has a fucking dragon to collect him. Yeah. At this point, Rincewind does not. Yeah, all right. Well, they fall. But yeah, they fall. Uh, and then we kind of... It's not really clear that we've... Yeah, it's a bit cliffhanger It's not really clear that we go back in time, but we go back to... Um, Two Flower and Huron who are in a cell together, having been kidnapped by some dragons. There's a lot of kidnapping by dragon here. There's a theme. There is a theme, and it is kidnapped by dragon, which is the theme of all the best dances. What? <laughs> I was trying to think of things that had a theme, and I'm dances. I, get, I, I, dances. Ju- I just rewatched Community. <laughs> that does explain a lot. <laughs> uh, but this is great. Fat dog theme. <laughs> Right, so mm. so Huron and Two Flower in the cell together, and um, there is one of my favourite paragraphs. I, I know I've said that about quite a few paragraphs. Yes, but I mean it this time. All right. So we, I was talking about you know Fron just calmly voicing the barbarian trope rather than really doing the barbarian trope. Yeah. And when Two Flower says, "Well, what happens next?" and Fron answers very, very nonchalantly. Oh, I expect in a minute the door will be flung back and I'll be dragged off to some sort of temple arena where I'll fight maybe a couple of giant spiders and an eight-foot slave from the jungles of Clatch. Then I'll rescue some kind of a princess from the altar and then kill off a few guards or whatever and then this girl will show me the secret passage out of the place. We'll liberate a couple of horses and escape with the treasure. All that, said Tufla. Usually. (laughs) It is beautiful. It is, and it sums it up in all of... 10, 11 lines? Yeah, it, it is very, very good. I just think if I read that, I hadn't had to read so many terrible comics as a child. <laughs> so they're chilling out. They think this is going to happen. Two Flowers just more excited about dragons. Mm. Which, um, there's a little reference here to the Oxyrene fairy book, which is where Two Flowers seen pictures of dragons. Right, yeah. I kind of highlight it just because there seems to be one book of fairy tales. I don't know if it's meant to be the same one or not. But a book of fairy tales with horrific illustrations comes up in a lot of Discworld books. Uh, Vimes was terrified of something yeah. in it. Tiffany is terrified of something the goblin. in it. Goblin. Vimes was scared of the goblin. Tiffany was scared of Jenny Greenfingers. Yeah. Or Jenny Green Teeth. Yeah. Uh, Jenny uh, Green something. Jenny, poor Jenny. <laughs> Answers on a postcard if you remember what Tiffany was scared of. <laughs> Which I'm part very... of Jenny was green? <laughs> <laughs> I'm very sorry for new readers. We will get there. I don't think it, it. It's definitely not planned here that there is going to be one fairy tale book that exists on the disc. But I no, really I, feel, liked... it, I think it's called something later. I'm still head canoning. Yeah. Head canoning. Yeah, why not? That it is that one fairy tale book that just exists all over the disc world and yeah. contains things. And kind of exists in all the other universes too. Yeah, it's like the Osborne book of fairy tales. Yes. <laughs> but you know, except the, clearly the Grimm brothers. Definitely the brothers Grimm. More importantly, I want to know who illustrated it. Because clearly these illustrations are fucked up. Yeah. Like, I can't think of any famous artists that might have been referenced. I'm not sure this is an Easter egg, is it? No, no, I don't think it's an Easter egg at all. I'm just speculating that maybe Chris Riddell or someone had a trip to the Discworld just to illustrate a horrific oh, fairy tale book. I love his illustrations. He is one of my favourite The Into the Deep Woods books. Yes. Artists beyond the Deep Woods books, aren't they? Sorry. Yeah. They're just, yeah. They're just oh, so beautiful. The Sleeper and the Spindle. 
which is Neil Gaiman, so Terry Pratchett adjacent. We haven't gone totally off topic. Uh, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing a podcast. Yes, we are doing a podcast. So, Two Flowers Imagining Dragons in this economy. What? <laughs> what, can you imagine dragons in this economy? I certainly can't imagine dragons in this economy. You're quite right, Joanna. I'm sorry to doubt you. Um, but he imagines them. Pardon? But he imagines one. He does imagine one, but we haven't quite met it. We've got a brief interlude where Liesa turns up wearing not a lot of clothes again. Less not a lot of clothes than before, or about the same not a lot of clothes, or more not a lot of clothes? Well, before it was discussed as a, a minuscule amount of chainmail. Now she's wearing a leather harness, but in the, in her case it's much briefer than the male dragon riders. So at this point I'm assuming she's literally wearing a thong and nickel, nipple pasties. Nice. Plus a lot of hair. God, can you imagine leather nipple pasties? The amount uh, of double-sided tape you need. I'm thinking more the leather thong. I suppose it's better than chainmail. So Liesa turns up being scantily clad again. Sort yeah. of decides Hron is going to kill her brothers. And He's then to do sexy it. self reward. Yep. Sexy self. Um, and Hron's like, like, yeah, right. Yeah. Seems about right. More or less on the scene. Yeah. Go for it, mate. Standard Tuesday, really. And then just casually kills the guards. Oh, yeah. Keep Just keeping in practice. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, Fron. I do. I don't know why, but I really love Fron. Well, I've talked about it already. Why I really love Fron. I like his total nonchalance at his barbarian lifestyle. Yeah. But more than that, I just. I don't know. I like the way he just sort of accepts all of it. Yeah. Yeah, he is good. I mean, he's he's not really in it for long enough for me to get that attached. Yeah, I don't but mean to me. He is like. Cohen light. So. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's less I'm attracted to the character. I really like how it's written. Yeah. Um, I mean, it gets much more fun yeah, in the next book when we meet the next version of Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so then we meet Two Flowers Dragon. Two Flower imagines the dragon so hard that the dragon appears, just like we all hoped. Yep. And uh, it's very cute. Then he... Uh, and it's a beautiful a, dragon. It's a very... It's a big... It's a proper dragon. It's a good one. Yeah. With wings. Yeah, proper proper dragon. Not proper like those wings. nasty little swamp dragons you get around Ant Morbor. Well... They explode every three minutes. Yes, and we get to spend lots of time with the Swamp yeah. Dragon. They were mentioned here, it wasn't a spoiler. Oh, no, I know. Yeah. I'm just really looking forward to meeting them. Because, yeah, Two Flower catches up with Dead King, dude. Yes. Has a very confusing conversation, because the King's not sure where in time the conversation is. Yeah, which I feel is like a little precursor to Mrs. Cake. Yeah, I think he had enough fun with this here that he brought it back again. Yeah. And I love Mrs. Cake. Yeah, we'll get to Mrs. Cake. I still want to know why the post office won't deliver to Mrs. Cake. It's I never adequately can... explained. Yes, well, I think we're meant to come up with our own scenarios. <laughs> <laughs> right, write to us on a postcard. To the My dog address. has orange eyebrows. Does she? Look. Oh, yes, your dog does have ginger eyebrows. Sorry, we, our co-host is a very sweet, very sleepy puppy. Oh, she's so sleepy. Oh, she's oh, so sleepy. Oh, look at the little potato puppy. Oh. oh, what a little fish. Anyway, so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, we're still Two flower takes dragon, goes to rescue Rincewind. Oh. Um, and now I've written in the document that Joanna does a soppy bit. But it's not really a soppy bit. It's just, this is one of my notes. Um, two flower just swoops in, picks up Rincewind, and it's just... It's cute. They save each other. It's very sweet. I kind of ship it a tiny bit. A tiny bit. Look. 
I'm sorry. I've spent a lot more time engaged in online culture, and I could play the queer card and point out people look for. No, no. You can ship. You can ship all kinds of queer relationships, Joanna. I quite like it sometimes, but not this one. You can't have it. Okay, I ship it a tiny bit. And also, I take umbrage at the suggestion that I wasn't also immersed in internet culture. I was just in a different kind of internet culture. Yours didn't have shipping. Mine did not have shipping. Mine had lots of teenage snarkiness and it was deviant art it was deviant art <laughs> <laughs> deviant art and shipping you were just on the wrong part of it yes actually you're probably right <laughs> the point is my point isn't even that I really really super ship it my point no, is no, really really super ship it <laughs> you're, you're such a fucking girl <laughs> <laughs> okay I don't really ship, I don't ship it that much I don't I know but I was curious mm. Yeah. So I, I. Oh, I, you didn't Google it. A little bit. Look, I don't read fan fiction really. I have nothing against fan fiction. Fan fiction is great. It's a really interesting writing exercise. There is some bloody good fan fiction out there. Mm. It's just not really my cup of tea. But I was curious to see if other people kind of ship this. So I had a look around places where you get a lot of fan fiction. Hopefully and not most... adultfanfiction.net. No, not that one. Uh, <laughs> a but I don't know the address of that for any particular reason, anyway. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course not, Francine. Course not. <laughs> that, that, that's for our After Hours podcast. When do we start that one? Fuck me, I need to go to bed, Joanna. <laughs> <laughs> I have that effect. Anyway. <laughs> Would you... Theme music. Would you read Terry Pratchett with me? <laughs> <laughs> okay right fan fiction I was curious as to what the most popular pairings were for Discworld oh okay that is quite interesting yeah, yeah. so I, I wanted to see if Two Flower and Spin was a popular pairing it kind of is is it kind of it's not the most popular though um, and this won't mean anything to our new readers but our existing readers may enjoy knowing that Vimes and Vecinari is a super popular pairing yeah. So I can't promise I'm not going to keep an eye out for some sexual tension when we get there. But that's all in the future. And in the meantime, Too Far oh. rescued Rincewind and it's cute. It is cute. I will give you that. It is cute. See, for me, I love... I am just... Su- I'm super into male platonic friendships. No, no. I, I am. I definitely see it. Like, no, no it, it's, not, it's not even... I, I feel it more deeply than when I read... A romantic relationship, almost. And I'm not sure why. I, 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 I Like, more than when I read any kind of, like, het by... Yeah. It, just male platonic friendship. And I think it's because when it's set in, like, trope land, like this especially, it is very much implied that you can't have any of the male... You can't have any many emotions on the spectrum of male emotions. No. Like you, and... But, hmm. I'm not explaining this very well at all. Hold on. Okay, so this is super off topic, but okay, Fitz in Robin Hobbs one, yeah, his friendships, not even with the fool, but with Shade, yeah, just I feel more deeply than his romantic relationships. No, I totally get that, and I, and I and I see your point, and I don't mean to. I definitely don't mean to spoil anything about these books for you, and I don't. Yeah. No, I. I it, yeah. They're not spoiled. I'm just taking the piss. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and it's a bit silly. I'm not saying like I, I, I do obsessively ship this or anything like that, but I just 
It's know. cute. I get why you would at this moment because it's him literally swooping in to rescue him. On a dragon. From a cliff edge. On a dragon. <laughs> from a cliff edge. If, if ever was the moment to ship these two, it would yeah. be now. Like, I don't really see them in any kind of romantic pairing because neither of them are romantic characters. And there isn't really much romance in the Discworld books. No, um... And in fact, my... There's just enough for it not to be unrealistically asexual. Yeah, but it's never... There's no, like, romantic story. There are always subplots and it's never... The, which I love. Yes. That's one of the reasons I love this book so much because... And it's never one character chasing another. No, it's, it's always... It's always two coming together under circumstances. Yeah, and my, t- my two favourite... Well, actually, we'll, we'll talk about this when we yeah, get Yeah, we should, it. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> we do keep leaving ahead. But anyway, one of my favourite Discord relationships uh, is forming here as Tron tries to kill Yes's brothers, which is actually what she wants. And that's, uh, that's definitely a healthy way to start a relationship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Definitely start by killing your intended's brothers. I mean, if she asks you to... Yeah, yeah. Well, you know. People sometimes say that women just don't communicate what they want. And I think Liasa was very clear that she wanted fratricide by proxy. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So he gets into a fight. It's once again explained to us that dragons exist via belief because it needs to yeah, be... Just in case we run. didn't get that. This is going to be very important in the next books, guys. Please pay attention. Okay? Belief. Which is <laughs> odd moments where, again, this could do with an editor. Yeah. Because that didn't need explaining. We already know that dragons exist by belief. We can make the connection that they disappear when the brothers get knocked out. Yeah. But Hron wins. Hooray. Good Yay. old Hron. Unfortunately, just as he wins, Two Flower... Well, he wins. Liesa suggests she's going to test him and takes what minuscule amount of clothes she is wearing off. Sexy self. Sexy self. So Liesa goes to reward the... Uh, not the main protagonist, but a hero with her sexy self, which is a great, great subversion of the cliche there. Uh-huh. <laughs> Two flower decides to rescue Fran. Fran's yeah, not very just... happy about this. Yeah. <laughs> Fran was about to get late. <laughs> like, in the nicest sort of way, Fran's about to shag a dragon queen. Doesn't really need rescuing. Two flower, massive cock block. Dude. Luckily, he gets rescued back. From Two flower. He gets rescued from Two flower by, by his shiny new dragon queen. Doesn't Fran then kind of take over the realm properly? Yeah, no, well, I think he does become co-ruler of the Wormberg. Yeah. Which, good for fun. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah he, he doesn't just do the muscles and suggestibility. No, he does a bit of ruling. Hmm. And, he, and, and he gets to settle down, you know, it's a hard life. Robbing altars, saving virgins. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, there's no pension. I'm just... Piles of gold you've buried in the woods so you've got to try and find again. Uh, yeah, so Ron gets rescued back. Um, I've got aeroplane interlude written. I do enjoy the aeroplane interlude, so... I'm not sure what the fuck it's doing here. It's not... I don't think it's really doing anything. Like, again, this is the first book and he's still figuring out what he's doing. He is, yeah, but I don't... I don't dislike it because it's entertaining and it's funny, but I don't understand why it's there. Is it just cementing the fact that there's a multiverse? Because it's not a fantasy trope, obviously. It's not a fantasy trope. I think it's a fun exercise in description because everything that happens in the aeroplane interlude is described from the point of view of... I mean, it's an omniscient third-person narrator, but it's described from Rincewind's point of view. Yeah. So Rincewind sees the aeroplane wing and thinks it's a dragon's wing. Yeah. And he is wondering why the dragon has windows and what the (laughs) amulet is. Yeah. And it 
slowly, slowly shifts your perception. You know, there's a bit where he, he basically prevents a hijacker and I'm kind of going to skim over the the scariness that even as early as 1983, someone described as brown and bearded was clearly a hijacker. Before um, 9-11, uh, plane hijackings weren't generally fatal. Uh, they were usually used as political statements. Um, and so or proper, like, escape plans. And so someone would hijack a plane and say, take me to this or that airport, and nobody gets hurt. And quite often nobody got hurt. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, almost always the hijacker got arrested or whatever because it's super difficult to covertly land a passenger plane. But... Yeah. But no, it's... Sorry, I, di- I didn't know that about the history of hijacking. Mm. I like so yes, that. we're... we're uh... Anyway, we're, we're pointing at a different, probably harmful stereotype than the one you might have thought. But yeah. But from this description, like, I could see how it's jarring if you're reading it for the first time. Or not jarring, strangely familiar. Yes. For the 1980s. Um, I like the description of trousers for Rincewind and how it's just sort of this odd cloth tube. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then you sort of start getting hints of these bits in italics where it's like, no, 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 this is Jack's Fableman and he's promised to show him around when they get to the States. Yeah. And Rincewind is yeah. Rincewind? But Rincewind? this, I think the point of it is to play with this idea of uh, paradoxes and reality and sort of changing history slightly because, it, again, it, it plants a seed that he can come back to and he plays with uh, yeah. the trousers of time and things. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, I don't think there's not. I think he's just being clever and yeah. silly. Okay. And he's showing off because he can be clever and silly. Yeah, and I mean, why not? It's his book. Yeah. Fuck it, who am I? We'll let him. Literally nobody. Francine. Oh, sorry, I'm having an existential crisis. It's nearly midnight. All right, can you wait till we finish recording the podcast? Yeah, all right. But yeah, so just as they're all very... As Rincewind is coming to terms with the fact he's actually on Roundworld and he's Dr. Rincewand. Uh, But yes, the luggage turns up. Yeah, the luggage, as it turns out, can actually cross dimensions to try and save its companions, owners. I'm not really sure at this point. And as it comes charging horrendously down the aeroplane aisle... That's enough to, um... Break the spell? The, the it's small... not really a spell. I think it's... it's just a... He's accidentally dropped into another universe and then he drops back into his. Yeah, the luggage is such a solid reminder of the other universe that this one kind of goes, oh, never mind. <laughs> There's some nice quotes here about how... Uh... Raw magic was running around the multiverse as a result of this and yeah. sloshing into odd corners. And there's just a wonderful s- sentence. Uh, In the cometary halo around the fabled ice system of Zeret, a noble comet died as a prince flamed across the sky. <laughs> Which, uh, I think it's kind of a good point to end it. So that's that's pretty much the end of the lore of the worm. We end with uh, Rincewind and Two Flower plunging towards the sea. Hooray! The luggage plunging with them. Hooray! And the final sentence that later on they used it as a graft. And they did. And they did. Next week we'll be discuss we'll be discussing the final part of the book, Close to the Edge. In the meantime, you can email us at the tr- um, the truth shall make ye fret pod at gmail you can follow us on Twitter at Make Ye Fret Pod. Nice. You can find our Facebook page, The Truth Shall Make Ye Fret. Uh, and don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. 
we will see you next week for the final part of The Colour of Magic, Close to the Edge. Yes. Goodbye. Bye.